are still in the, the part of the, the book of Revelation where God is, is leading the Apostle John to, to write some things just in a, in a foundational kind of a sense. And we've been laying a foundation for this study. And, and as I said this morning, for so many new people that have been coming in, we've kind of just taken our time as we've been going through this to make sure that we're all working off of the same page and at the same time giving a, a review course for all of us who have been around here for the last several years. Some of the, the big pictures of the Bible that the Lord has graciously shown us. And we've been able to walk back over some of those things. And hopefully what this will do is, is embed those things in your mind and hopefully give you some handles to be able to remember these things and to be able to communicate those things to other people as you have opportunity, whether it be through discipleship or uh, just in, in sharing your faith in these last days, being able to talk about all of these things that the Bible says are so pertinent to the time that we're living in. But we've made our way down to verse 7 where what God does here is, it is so key. And, and we took the whole time just basically to cover the first three words of verse 7 this morning. Behold, He cometh. And what the Lord does for us right here is He states for us the theme of the book of Revelation. And that was our, our, our first point this morning, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is the theme of the book of Revelation. And what we began to talk about, and, and let me just remind you, because uh, we've, we've kind of talked about the, some of these things before, but I don't think that we've ever actually gone into the book of Revelation to begin to see that theme and, and where these things are and how it, it specifically divides in chapters 4 through 19, where what the Lord does after stating that theme, what He does in this book is He begins to bring you four times through the tribulation period, and of course the tribulation period culminates with the second coming of Christ. And we, we talked about the fact that if you do not understand the way that God approaches things, and if you do not understand the way that God thinks when He goes to present the truth of the Word of God, you're going to find yourself very, very confused in this book. We talked about the American mindset and how we think in a straight line. And the reason so many people get themselves confused in the book of Revelation is they come to it and they're thinking in a straight line. And if you do that, you will never rightly divide the book of Revelation because it doesn't divide according to a straight line. It divides according to a circle. And what God does is He circles you four times through the tribulation period, culminating with the second coming of Christ. And we shared with you those references this morning. And we won't take the time to do that again. If you weren't here and you have interest in that, May I suggest to you just stopping by the bookstore tonight and, and ordering a tape there. And, and we, began to, we began to talk about all of the things that are actually revealed in the book of Revelation about His second coming. And now you see, now God could have shown you anything that He wanted to show you about the second coming of Christ. He could have recorded anything that He wanted to. But when you begin to look at what He records, what you find is it is very similar to the things that he chose to record about the first coming of Christ. And we looked at the similarities between the first coming and the second coming. And then we began to notice, if you will, the similarities in terms of contrast. There are certain things that are just so contrasting about these two events. And we began to just 
try to nail the fact in our mind as we come to verse 7, and we're going to go into verse 7 in specific detail, just going word by word, verse by verse through this thing next next week. But I'm trying to get in your minds right now the theme of the book, because if you miss the theme of the book of Revelation, it's like any other book. If you miss the theme, you've, you miss the whole point of the thing. And so God is trying to show us in this book the theme of the thing. Now, one of the principles that we need to make sure that we, we learn when it comes to Bible study is learn to emphasize the things that God emphasizes. You see, what most believers do is they don't do that. They emphasize the things that they want to emphasize. But you better find out what does God emphasize. And, and did you know this? That there are five times as many references in the Bible to the second coming of Christ as there are to the first coming of Christ? Folks, listen, God's party ain't over. You know, we kind of think, you know, oh, well, it was all, you know, all of this, the whole Testament, it was all leading up to the, you know, the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. And yeah, there was a whole lot of stuff that the Old Testament prophesied about that first coming, but not near what that book covers concerning the second coming of Christ. And this was the second major point that we talked about this morning. The fact that the second coming of Jesus Christ is the theme of God's entire book of Revelation, the Bible. Okay, we've got a book of Revelation, the very last book of our Bible. The theme of that book of Revelation is the second coming of Christ. But this whole book that we're holding in our hands tonight, this whole book is God's book of Revelation to us. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And the entire theme, not only of the last book of the Bible, is the second coming of Christ. What we began to talk about is the fact that the theme of the entire Bible is the second coming of Christ. And if you miss that, you'll lose your shirt when it comes to really understanding the Word of God. You'll be able to understand some things, and you'll get some nice devotional things, but I'm, I'm telling you, you miss the theme of the Bible and you're going to miss the real point of it. And a lot of that stuff that you just, <gasps> is so boring to you. When, once you understand the theme of it, man, it comes to life. And, and hopefully you'll begin to see just how that is tonight. But in, in terms of the whole Bible being the theme, the second coming of Christ, we began talking about the fact that the second coming of Jesus Christ has been God's focus since the beginning of time. And you see, if you're going to understand the Bible, you've got, to, you've got to get into the mind of God and begin to think the way that He thinks and understand what is it that He's really emphasizing in this book and what God has been moving toward, what God has been focusing on, what God has been waiting on all along has been the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we remember we talked this morning about that day on God's calendar. And I recognize God doesn't have a calendar, but I promise you, if he did, the day that he would have starred and I don't know what all the things we talked about today, starred and highlighted, smiley face, exclamation pointed, and the whole deal, that day is the day when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. It's the day that we were singing about just a minute ago. That day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and he will be wearing many crowns and 
and he will be glorified and he will get what he deserves. God's been focusing on that all along. We look secondly at the fact that the second coming of Jesus Christ has been the focus of every prophet since the beginning of the world. And and let let me take you back to Acts chapter 3 because this is really where we had to begin to start cutting and pasting and and all of that this morning. Acts chapter 3. Not only has the second coming of Christ been God's focus since the beginning of time, it has been the focus of every prophet, every preacher that God has ever had on this planet. And you know what? Any preacher that's worth his salt today, guys, you know what his theme is? The second coming of Christ. He's going to find a way to keep coming about, coming around to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to this planet. You better get yourself prepared. And all of you who are already prepared for that day, you better invest your life in working toward that day. See, all of God's holy prophets have emphasized that. That's not my opinion. Look in chapter 3. In verse 21, it says, Whom the heaven must receive, that, that is referring to Christ, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. And we, we mentioned this morning the fact that the times of restitution are the same as the times of refreshing back in verse 19. You know what God's looking for? You, you know, have you ever been just refreshed? I mean, you've been out mowing the grass, and I mean, you, you know, you're just a, a sweaty, stinking, dirty mess, and you are just absolutely thirsty, and, you know, you come inside... You sit down and, and you have a big old glass of lemonade and, and what do you do? You know what? God's getting ready to have him a big... And he ain't going to go... He ain't going to be refreshed until his son comes back and he takes his seat on his throne in Jerusalem. The times of refreshing. The times of restitution of all things. He restores, he puts back all of the things on this planet to their intended purpose. Okay, back, back in verse 21. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. What an incredible statement when you really begin to understand that long before Jesus Christ came the first time, the theme of the message of all of God's holy prophets, not a lot of them, not the majority, all of His holy prophets since the world began have been preaching about this same event. And I took you this morning to the book of Jude, where in verse 14 it talks about Enoch, the seventh from Adam, And he preached, he prophesied, and what was his message? Behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints. It's Revelation chapter 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And way back there, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh from Adam, and he is proclaiming the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now there's Enoch way back there. And you know what? You can go into the book of Genesis chapter 49 and... And you know what you're going to find? Second coming of Christ. You, you start just working your way through all of the books of the Bible. But what I want to begin to show you is how all of God's holy prophets since the world began have been talking about this thing. So let's back up to the book of Isaiah. 
I try to write down as many of these references as you can to just for further reference. Isaiah chapter 2. And we're going to, from here, for those of you that aren't uh, you know, real familiar with getting around in, in your Bible, if you'll go to the very middle of the Old Testament, really the middle of your Bible, which is the Psalms, and you'll just work your way over to the right, just a few books, you'll find the book of Isaiah. And from here, we're going to just kind of be moving over to the right. And here, here's the prophet Isaiah, and, and, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you already, I, I'm, I, all I want to do right now is just begin to just give you an idea of what God really meant when he was saying that this has been the theme of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Isaiah chapter 2, and look at verse 12, for the day of the Lord. Now just stop right there. This day that God has been looking for, this day that is the theme of the entire Bible, it is called in the Word of God the day of the Lord. This is God's great day. This is what He's moving toward. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Skip down. I mean, it's all, it's all in there, right in this, this passage. Look at, look, drop down to verse 17. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low. You see, there, there's so many people that are wanting themselves and so full of pride, and, and God just sits on his throne tonight, and he just watches it. But there's coming a day when he's going to bring all of that junk right down to the ground. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of men shall be made low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Go over to chapter 3 and look beginning in verse 6. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me, make me not a ruler of the people, for Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is falling, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And he is just beginning to spell out for you what it's going to be when it comes to the second coming of Christ. And again, we won't be able to go, especially in the book of Isaiah. What an incredible book when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. All of chapter 4 in the book of Isaiah deals with the second coming of Christ. Uh, chapter 11, the entire chapter, every single verse in Isaiah chapter 11 has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. Isaiah chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, the second coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 21, verses 11 through 14. Isaiah 27, verses 1 through 6. It's the second coming of Christ. Isaiah 34, verses 1 and 2. 
Isaiah 52, 54, 60, 61, 62, 63. They're all about the second coming of Christ. Half of chapter 64 is the second coming of Christ. All of chapter 65, the second coming of Christ. Half of chapter 66, the second coming of Christ. I mean, is this wild or what? The whole book, basically. Isaiah, God's prophet, his theme. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And again, I mean, you can see, we don't have time to go through all those references. I'm giving them to you. You probably didn't even have time to write them down, right? You mad? Did you have time to write them down? Okay, cool. Okay, then we come from Isaiah. Then we come to, to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah lives at a period of time that is a type of the second coming. And, and, and go over to chapter 46. We'll, we'll skip a lot of it. But I mean, the, the whole life of Jeremiah and what's going on with the nation of Israel there, it, it's a picture of everything that's going to be taking place at the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. Jeremiah 46 and verse 10. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance that He may avenge Him of His adversaries. Go over to chapter 50 of Jeremiah. and We won't, uh, we won't read the, the whole chapter, but listen, the whole chapter, Jeremiah chapter 50, the whole chapter is the second coming of Christ. Look at, look at verse... Uh, let, let's pick up in verse... 22. A sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How is Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou wast not aware, thou art found and also caught, because thou hast striven against the Lord. The Lord hath opened his armory and hath brought forth the weapons of his indignation, for this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the utmost border, open her storehouses, cast her up as heaps, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bullocks, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day is come, the time of their visitation. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God the vengeance of his temple. Call together the archers against Babylon. All ye that bend the bow, camp against it, round about it. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she hath done. Do unto her, for she hath been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud saith the Lord God of hosts, for thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee, and the utmost proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. And we could just go on and on and on. But nobody's missing the message, are you? Nobody's missing this event, are you? You know what this is? This is revelation, man. This is the same exact ground that he's covering, how Babylon is fallen, and it is going to be a mighty heap of destruction. All of Jeremiah chapter 51, again, the entire deal, it's all the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then we come to the book of 
of Lamentations. And the book of Lamentations, the book itself is a, is a picture of the tribulation pointing to, of course, the, the second coming of Christ. We keep mentioning the fact that the, the culmination of the tribulation period is the second coming. And then we come to the book of Ezekiel. In chapter 1 of Ezekiel is a picture of the second coming. Look at verse 4. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And, and for those of you that may be new to the Bible, I want you to know that the key words that God is laying out in this verse right here, I mean, it's like they all just come together in one verse. You can begin to trace these words through the Bible, and what you're going to find? The second coming of Christ as He begins to live. The, the whirlwind, the cloud, the fire, the brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. And then Ezekiel gets into it over in chapter 13. Ezekiel chapter 13. In verse 5, You have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. And go over to chapter 30 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3. For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. You remember what Revelation 1 7? We just hit the first three words. Behold, he cometh with what? The clouds. We'll, we'll talk about those clouds in detail next Sunday. A cloudy day it shall be the time of the heathen. And then we come to the book of Daniel. And, and again, I, I, mean, I don't want to belabor the point. And I know some of you probably think I am. But I want you to, to begin to get this where you begin to see, oh, okay, I get it. This book is full and running over with the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. The book of Daniel, most of chapter 2 is dealing with the second coming of Christ. All of Daniel chapter 7 is the second coming of Christ. Most of chapter 9 in the book of Daniel. We looked this morning, uh, keep moving over there to the, to the right, the book of Joel. We looked this morning at several verses from the book of Joel. Look again, chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 10. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great, for He is strong that executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to Me with all your heart, with fasting, and with weeping, 
and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for He is gracious and merciful. Oh, he, He's terrible and there's vengeance that is coming. There's destruction, but oh, he, right now He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Oh, listen, guys. Just thank God I'm not God. You know? Because I'm just telling you, man, when you, when you see people blaspheme the name of God and, and the stuff that they do, you know what, man? I'm just telling you. If I'm God, I'm going to just... Ping! I'm going to flip you off the globe if I'm God. You know? for the last 6,000 years He's been gracious, loving, forgiving, full of compassion, long-suffering, waiting for you to come to Him. But when the day of the Lord comes, that's over. It's gone. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repented him of the evil. Amos. Come to the next book. Look at Amos chapter 5. Verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or, or went into the house and, and leaned his hand upon the wall and a serpent bit him, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? You find it again in chapter 8. It's all about it. Obadiah, the next book, he gets into it. Zechariah is filled with it. And, and I'm going to wait right now to, to show you some things from the book of Zechariah, which is, keep moving over to the right, we're, we're just going to hustle it along there, but come to Malachi, the very last book in the New Testament. Malachi is talking about it, check it out in chapter 4, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, and have you noticed as we've been cross-referencing through this, how, how God keeps talking about the proud, the proud, the proud. You know, there have been a lot of proud people in the world through the years. And you, you know, you just look at it and you just say, oh my goodness, I just can't believe God doesn't do something. He is. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. This is what we were singing about. And you know, and we, you know, we haven't even touched the songs. You know what? I, I'm serious, y'all. I, I do not know now what I used to think when I read the Psalms, because now once I understand the theme of the Bible and some of the keys that God uses to identify for me what's going on in there. You know what? I mean, it's it's just all over the place. The second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, and he, he just over and over and over again. I, I read that stuff now and go, I don't even know what I used to think this stuff meant. 
What we sang about it tonight in, in Psalm 97. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies. It's the same thing that Malachi is talking about here. It's the same thing David was talking about in Psalm 97. The hills will melt like wax, Psalm 97 says. That, that's what he's talking about here in verse 1. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the capital S you in the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings you see right now biblically we're living in the biblical nighttime of christianity jesus said in john chapter 9 as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world he left this planet in acts chapter 1 in verse 9 and it entered into nighttime and the Bible tells us, and you can just watch that thing of the night, and it's all about the church age in the Bible. And it tells us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are not of the night, but we are children of the, the day. Okay, It's nighttime, but the day of the Lord is coming. And that day is going to be here when the sun of righteousness rises. And when he comes, he burns out all of that morning dew. He burns up everything that is before him. And you know what? What is you know? We're, we're talking about the theme of the Book of Revelation, the Second Coming of Christ. We're talking about the the theme of the Bible being the Second Coming of Christ. Do you recognize the theme of every twenty-four hour period that you've ever lived in your entire life? theme of it is the second coming of Christ. Every single day, God rents out the billboard of space to paint you a picture. It's nighttime, but you know what? Sun is going to rise on this planet with healing in His wings. Destruction and yet healing. It's the same thing that that sword does. It's a two-edged sword. You know what? It's a sword of destruction and yet a sword of healing, right? A, a knife, it's, it's a weapon or it's a doctor's tool to do surgery, to, to heal. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And again, what, 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 he, what he tells us here is, in, in Acts chapter 3, is that all of God's Holy prophets have been talking about this very event. And this is it's so wild to me. They have been talking about the event that is going to take place in your lifetime, barring, for most of you, barring some accident that would take you in death. For the last 6,000 years, all of God's holy prophets have been talking about something that is going to take place in your lifetime. Man, what a time to be alive. And, and you see, this is why this is the theme of this church. Because we're living in a time where people are not prepared for what is getting ready to take place on this planet. And you know what? We can't get to the point to where we get tired of, of, of being reminded. That, man, that, uh, uh, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, I can guarantee you, for a little while. And you know what the theme of this thing is going to be every week? 
Jesus is coming back to this planet real soon, and we've got to get ourselves ready. So, man, let's let's keep our focus on, on this thing. And and when you begin to see this, and I, I mentioned this point this morning, I, I feel like it, it bears repeating because it, it, it's it's such an indication of 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 how God works and and what He's actually given to us when He gives us the Bible. When you begin to look at what all of these men have written about this event that that all of His holy prophets have, have been talking about, and you begin to take into account that we're talking about men who lived in different places at different times, some of them separated by, by hundreds and hundreds of years, men who had no direct communication with each other, and yet they all used the same phrase in the same way, in the same context, to talk about the same event. You say, how in the world could they, they do that? There's only one way. And that is that this book really only has one author. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The reason they could all write about this same event, in, in most cases without even seeing what, what the others ha- had written, and all say the same thing, is there was really... Only one person who actually did the writing, and it was God Himself. And, and something interesting about this day, the, the day of the, the second coming uh, of Christ, the, the day of the Lord, it is such a significant day in the Bible that many times the, the prophets simply refer to the day of the Lord as that day without even going into the whole deal of the day of the Lord, they'll just simply refer to it as that day. And and one classic example, this is what I was talking about in the book of Zechariah. Are you still in Malachi or where would you get to? Uh, Wherever. The next to the last book in, in the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. This is, and all I'm doing here, now this is not the only place in the Bible that is like this. What I'm, I'm trying to do is just give you a classic example of God talking about the day of the Lord without even mentioning the day of the Lord. Just that day. Zechariah chapter 12, and, and look at verse 3. And in that day, uh, hey Zech, which day is that that you're talking about? That day. You know, that day, I mean, everybody knows that day. It's the, it's the theme of the Bible. It's the theme of the universe. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Verse 4, in that day. Verse 6, in that day. Verse 8, In that day shall the Lord defend His inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. Verse 9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 11, In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem. Chapter 13, verse 1, In that day, verse 4, And it shall come to pass in that day Day and, and 24 times in the book of Zechariah alone, you see that phrase, in that day or that day. And, and you know what's wild? Now, now listen to this very carefully, especially if, 
if you're somewhat new to this fellowship, every single time that you find that phrase in the entire King James Bible, every time, every time, in that day, that day, the day, you know what God's doing for you? What He is doing for you, and this is so key, what He's doing is He is setting the context for you. He's letting you know what He's really talking about. I don't care what's going on in that passage. When you see in that day, when you see that day, God is saying, I'm placing this right here to let you see something. I'm giving you right... You see, that phrase becomes a key. And man, I'm telling you, it will open up for you all kinds of doors in your Old Testament to begin to show you things that most people on this planet will never see. And when you begin to show them these things, most of them are going to laugh in your face. You know why? You don't believe that book. And it won't just recognize that you don't need a whole lot of doctor's degree, doctor's degrees and all these things, you know, to be able to understand the Bible. You know what you got to have to understand the Bible, guys? A childlike faith. And just begin to look at the simple way that God has laid this, this book out. Okay, so that phrase becomes a, a, a key phrase. But back to our outline now. The, the second coming of Christ hasn't just been God's focus since the beginning of time. It hasn't just been the focus of every prophet since the beginning of the world. Letter C on your outline. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the focal point of most of the pictures of the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament holds a, a, a dimension that a lot of people have no idea uh, about. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, we, we got turned on to this several years ago, and, and you've heard Frank mention this on, on some Sunday nights. We, we went down to a youth camp down in West Virginia, and we had this, the speaker that was it was up there, and I, I don't know what the Lord was trying to teach us or him or, or what what the deal was, but the guy has the audacity to stand before our kids and you know he says you know open your Bibles to the New Testament this Old Testament thing you know it's I want something that speaks to today you know Abraham Isaac and Jacob and all these guys they're they're fine but you know what I want something that speaks for today and I'm about ready to go beat him to a pulp you know for the glory of God um, you know. I, he doesn't understand that book that he's holding in his hands and, and what God was doing with that book. I can tell you this, he doesn't understand the first thing that, that you understand very clearly right now about the theme of the Bible. I mean, what do you mean speaking about think something for today? Everything that I've shown you is about something that is going to take place in our day. The second coming of, of, of Jesus Christ. Okay, But what, what you need to understand is that the Old Testament is really just one giant picture book. And what you find that God has done is He has taken the, the doctrinal concepts that are, are revealed in the New Testament. All of these things that sometimes are a little bit difficult to grasp. I mean, you can't look at a doctrine. You, you can't feel it. You know, it's an intangible kind of thing. And so what God does, because He's a master teacher, is He begins to give you pictures of it, and you know, encyclopedias. One of the ways they help you is they give you pictures of it. They're explaining it all in the copy. And see figure two, you know, 
And you go over there and you look at him, ha, ha, okay, I, I get this deal. God's the same way with his truth. He takes intangible concepts and he begins to picture those things for you so that you can understand it. And the way that he does that, and this is so wild, the way that he does that is through the actual history that God is recording for you in the Old Testament. He takes events that really happen in the lives of real people, just like me and you, and yet as God records the history of those events, it becomes an illustration or it becomes a, a, a picture of what might sometimes otherwise be an intangible concept or an intangible truth. So he's got all of these pictures that are sitting back here in the Old Testament. Now, there's a real danger here because some people might call this approaching the Bible allegorically. We do not believe that we approach the Bible allegorically. You know, and there's, all, there's a hidden meaning behind everything. And so what do you think it means, Tom? Well, what do you think it means, Beth? And what do you think it means, Frank and Bob and Joe? What, what, what do you think it means? Who cares what you think it means? What does God say that it means? And what has He shown us in His book about how to, to come to this thing? These pictures that we're talking about. He has not left us to just indiscriminately open the book and, and just start picking and choosing what we think the, 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 the pictures mean. Okay, Again, what we think, it's, it's irrelevant to, to God. What we need to do is we need to find out what He thinks, make that our opinion, and adopt that, and, and that will keep us right between the white lines. And, and, and so as we study the Bible, what you begin to find out is that God has, has laid this thing out in such a manner that He gives you certain keys that unlock the doctrinal context of the passage for you. And one of those keys, one of those keys is this phrase that we were just talking about, in that day, or that day. Now, again, this is going to sound just a, a little bit strange to you, but no matter where that thing's, thing shows up, every time you find it, anywhere you find it in the entire Bible, God is using it to set the context of that passage for you as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you just take a computer or you take a concordance or whatever and you just start going through in that day, you're going to find that phrase is all over the place and in some, some wild places. And you're going to look at that thing and say, this guy is a jerk, this guy's a nut, there's no way in the world this has anything to do with the second coming of Christ. I mean, this, man, this is all about... The children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, man. This has nothing to do with the second coming of Christ. Well, let me just begin to show you some of the examples of this thing. Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. See, you're just, you just, you, you came to this church one, one Sunday night and you heard that, that, Older gentleman up there talking about this phrase and these keys and all of this thing. And so here you are, you're just kind of cruising through the book of Exodus and, and you get to chapter 14 and you're, you're reading along and, and all of a sudden you, you got Pharaoh and the Egyptians about to annihilate the children of Israel. Teach the children. Up there, 
this makes for a great flannel graph story. Now, for some of you that, that didn't grow up in Sunday school, one of the ways that you know we teach the kids is we get this little board that's made out of flannel, and we get these little figures, you know, men and rocks and caves and water and all of this kind of stuff, and we put them up on the board, and we teach the children stories like the one that we're, we're talking about here. And I mean, what a classic one. I mean, anybody that is worth their salt. I mean, if you've ever taught a children's Sunday school class with a flannel board, you've taught this story. I mean, because this is, this is a classic. I mean, this is a teacher's dream to be able to, to teach this with a flannel board, man. Because you got the, you got the Red Sea and, you know, the nation of Israel is trapped, you know, and I mean, you've got the suspense going with those kids in the class and all of a sudden, you know, the, the waters come up. And so you, you know, you put the, the different flannel thing on there and the waters come up and, and so you take the children of Israel and you pass them through on the dry ground and then you say, and so here comes Pharaoh's army and they think that they're going to come after the children of Israel. And so they begin to walk through where God put up those waters and the waters fall and, you know, they're all blasted and the children of Israel escape and, ah, you know, the kids are, ah, yeah. And you are so cool as a teacher, you know. I mean, you go out that day just like, wow. Peter on the day of Pentecost, you know. But then you get down to verse 30. and God sets the context for you. He starts talking about how on that day, the Lord saved Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. And you know what? That's exactly what's going to happen on that day. The day of, of Christ. The day of Christ's second coming. And all of a sudden, oh, this becomes more than just a flannel graph story. It becomes more than just dead, dry history. Man, now you know why this thing happened to Israel. And you go back to the story. You see, you're coming along, you're reading the story, you're looking for the keys that God puts in His Bible. You come and you see that phrase, and then all of a sudden, put the brakes on and say, you know what? Maybe I won't get to the next chapter tonight. I think I better back up right here and go back because now I know what the context is. Now I know what's, what's really taking place here. And so you go back and you start checking it out. And you see that in verse 19, it talks about the angel of God, a phrase that is used consistently in the Bible to refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 24 talks about the morning watch. And you know what? That's the watch that the New Testament tells us that Christ is going to be coming in. In the morning watch. It's the day of the Lord. That sun is going to rise in the morning watch. And also in verse 24 you see Fire, which is always a picture of God's judgment. And you know what you've got right here? The second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's all right there in a little kid's flannel graph story. And you keep moving through the Old Testament. You come to another real famous story. Go over to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. And this is, this is another great flannel graph story. Most of you guys have taught this to the kids, man. This is the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. You know, Joshua put the Battle of Jericho, Jericho. Yeah, I, I, when I was a kid, man, I could never figure that thing about him fitting 
the battle, you know. And I, I come to find out that it's a Negro spiritual, and that's, that word means fought. Uh, you know, so, when you were a little kid, did you think, what, what is that he fitted? How do you fit a battle? Hey, am I the right size? <laughs> Whatever. Okay. And, but you come to, you come to the Joshua chapter 6, and, and it's this crazy story about God telling Joshua to lead the children of Israel to march around the city of Jericho seven times. And once again, man, we got the flannel graph out there, and we're working this thing, man. We've got all the kids pumped, you know, about they're going to walk around this thing seven times. We've got, you know, we've got the, all these little flannel graphs over here with the rocks falling and all this. We're just, oh, we can't wait to put those on our board and all this kind of a deal. But then you come down to verse 15, and once again, God sets the context for you. It says, And it came to pass on the <laughs> on the seventh day, which if you've been here for our study of Revelation, you already know what we're, what we're dealing with. And that's not the, the key, but I mean, it's another one. I mean, it, it, it's all it, it's all there. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. Okay, you got that morning watch there. Encompass the city after the same manner seven times, only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And you let that set the context for you. You put the brakes on. You start going back into the story and you start checking it out. And what you find is, is that the whole thing is a picture of the battle of Armageddon on the day of the Lord. Back in verse 4, you find the ark which is always a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 talks about seven trumpets. Does that sound like anything that you've read? Revelation chapter 8, seven trumpets. The end of verse 8 or verse 3 talks about six days, a picture of, of man being on the earth 6,000 years because a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. And then the seventh day, that day, the Eternal day, the thousand-year day, we call the millennium, which begins, of course, with the second coming of Christ. And it's all back there with Joshua beat the battle of Jericho. And it's a whole lot more than just flannel graph. God is painting you a picture of His great day when His Son comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon. And then you go just a little further in Joshua to chapter 10. And there's another great little kid's Bible story when, when Joshua comes against the Amorites. And, and this is the story you'll remember when the sun stood still and you're going through the story, you're planning you know, all the little flannel graphs you're going to use to teach this lesson when all of a sudden you come to verse 12 and God sets the context for you. Now, let, let me say this to all the Sunday school teachers in here. Just teach the history. Teach the kids the stories. And when they get old, I mean, you, okay now, three-year-olds, this is... This is history, and, and yet it's really a, a, a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because you see, this is one of the keys in the Bible. D don't do that. Just, just teach them the stories, and when they get old enough to be able to assimilate this stuff, we'll, we'll, we'll teach them these things. You see, this is one of the reasons it's great to grow up in a church, because some of you right now have no idea about Moses crossing the Red Sea with the children of Israel, and you have no idea about the, the walls of Jericho falling down and all that kind of stuff. So you see, it's important to learn those things so that you can put these things behind it. Okay, so you're coming through, you're planning this thing, and all of a sudden you come to verse 12, and God sets the context for you. He says, 
Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day. And you start comparing Scripture with Scripture and you find out that the whole gig that's coming down in this chapter is right where the action's going to be at the second coming of Christ. And in verse 11, you've got great hailstones falling down out of heaven. Just like in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 21. And in verse 13, you start looking at this thing of, of the sun standing still, and you go over to the Revelation, and you see what's going to happen to the sun in that day, and you see it all starts coming together. And I mean, this is, this is the way, the, this is what the whole Testament is, is all the way through this thing. God using historical accounts of what really happened to be a picture of His great day. The second coming of Christ. Let me just show you one final one that, that I, I, I love. There are two places in the Bible, and you can be turning back to the book of Exodus, but there's two places in the Bible where, where God tells someone to take off their shoes. And the reason He tells them to do that is because the place that they were standing on, God said, was holy ground. One of those places in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5 and this is another great flannel graph one. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush, you know. Most of you are familiar with that, that story. The other, and we'll look at this in just a second, the other one is in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 15 when the captain of the, Lord, the Lord's host appears out of heaven to Joshua. But you know what's interesting about those two events? Is they're both pictures of the second coming of Christ. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Exodus chapter 3, and you'll notice in verse 2, the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord is always, it is always a reference to Christ in the Bible. It is, it is what we call a, a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, pre-incarnate means before he actually came to this earth in a body, he showed up quite a few times in the Old Testament. And one of the ways that he showed up is as the angel of the Lord. Always a reference to Jesus Christ in the Bible, so check it out. The angel of the Lord comes out of heaven, verse 2 says, in flaming fire. In a flame of fire. And he appears unto Moses. You know what? If you know your Bible, that you know that's exactly what Second Thessalonians chapter one and verses seven and eight talk about when Christ comes at his second coming. It says that the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. You see, I mean it's not a matter of what do you think it means? It's just a matter of comparing scripture with scripture. It's the same stuff. And notice what the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, tells Moses in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. What do you reckon that is? That's the tribulation, right? It's a picture of the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And he says in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ will do at His second coming. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 says that after the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, then 
There shall come out of Zion the deliverer. I am come down, he says, to deliver them. It's exactly what he's going to do at the second coming of Christ, because at the second coming of Christ, what is going to be taking place at the at Armageddon is all of the nations of the world will surround the nation of Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just when it looks like there's no hope for him, buddy. Here comes that white horse, just like in the movies. Here comes that white horse, and he will come down and deliver his people out of their affliction once again. And you'll notice in verse 5, he tells Moses, Now, put off from thy feet, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And of course, where is this place? Where is this burning bush thing? Sinai, right? So w- w- nail that, okay? Just, just file all of this in your mind right now. Let me take you quickly over to Joshua chapter 5 now. Joshua is about to enter the battle of, of, of Jericho. Okay, and we've already seen that's a picture of Armageddon there. He's about to enter the battle of Jericho when you'll notice in verse 13, all of a sudden Joshua looks up. And a man appears out of the sky, and he's got his sword drawn, and Joshua is scared to death, and he doesn't know if this guy is for him or against him. And so Joshua asks him at the end of verse 13. And in verse 14, the man answers and reveals to him who he is, and he tells him that he is the captain of the Lord's host. Okay, And what does Joshua do? He does the same thing you do. He hits the deck and he starts worshiping. You know why he does that? You know why you do that in that same set of circumstances? Because the captain of the Lord's host is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the Lord's host is the armies of heaven. All of the angelic beings... All of the saints of heaven, that is the Lord's host. Okay, and so do you need me to resolve the chord? I mean, do you see it? It's all a picture of Revelation chapter 19. When the Lord Jesus Christ, right before the battle of Armageddon, comes out of heaven. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And verse 14 of Revelation 19 says, He comes with all of the armies of heaven following him. And verse 15 of Revelation 19 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp, what? Sword. He's got a sword drawn when he comes. And that sword is the Word of God. And again, what you've got is a perfect picture of the second coming. And what does the captain of the Lord's host tell Joshua to do in verse 15? Loose thy shoe from off thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Okay, so both places, uh, a picture of the second coming, and both places, the Lord tells these guys to take their shoes off because the place they were standing was holy ground. Now listen, I know that it was holy because of what was happening there at that very moment. I mean, God was talking to them. I mean, you know, man, when God is, is audibly talking to you, that's holy ground, right? But you know what? God talked to a lot of other people in the Old Testament, didn't He? 
I mean, we can go back and see in, in the book of Genesis, he talked to Abraham, he talked to Jacob. You, I mean, add to the list. I mean, Samuel, I mean, you can just go on and on with the, all of these people that, that the Lord talked to much like this, but he didn't tell them to take their shoes off, did he? He didn't tell them that that place was holy ground. And you know why God told Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 to take their shoes off? It is because those two places mark the beginning and the ending of the route that the Lord Jesus Christ will take at His second coming. He comes out of heaven across the earth to Sinai. He'll come down at Sinai in the air and he'll move across Sinai up to Edom. And you can take your, your, your map in the back of the Bible. In fact, Frank has walked us through this on a Sunday night. He comes across the earth to Sinai in the air and he goes up to Edom and up the king's highway through Selah and Petra and through Paran and Mount Seir. Then across the Jordan where he was baptized and he goes through Jericho and then to Gilgal and then he is going to come right into the east side of the Mount of Olives where his foot will set foot on this planet and that mountain is going to split right in two. And you know what? If you go back and study all of this that we're just talking about right there of that route that the Lord is going to take, you know what you'll find? It's the same route that the Ark of the Covenant took in the Old Testament. And folks, listen. It's just everywhere through the Old Testament. All these little stories we put on the flannel graph and we teach our children, you know, and we teach them historically what happened, but we don't really know why all this stuff has happened. It happened because God is wanting to teach us something, something bigger and, and more astronomical and more magnanimous than we could ever imagine about what is going to take place someday in the future that is like what was taking place there. The place was holy ground not just because of what was happening at that time. That place was holy ground because of what is going to take place in those places when Jesus Christ comes back to this planet. Someone says, well, you know, I'm not so sure I buy all of this this, this picture stuff, you know. I mean, uh, that's kind of new to all. You know what? You need to go back, and we won't take the time to take you there tonight, but you need to go back and see what Jesus said about the Old Testament in John chapter 5. He said in John chapter 5, in verse 39, that the Old Testament Scriptures, listen, He said, they testify of Me. In John chapter 5, verse 46, He said, For had ye believed Moses, you would have believed Me, for He, Moses, wrote of me. And yet you can go back to the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you can check it out and you can find out Moses never one time ever used the name Jesus. He never used the name Christ. He never used the name Messiah. But you see, Moses wrote of him, and the Old Testament Scriptures testify of him in the stories. Because they're pictures of him, and they're all about him. Folks, this whole book is all about God's great day when His Son finally comes to this earth and gets what He deserves. And the big question, the big question about all of this, and this is how, it, because most of the people that are in this room tonight, you're believers. 
The big question that all of us need to face is this. Is the second coming of Jesus Christ the theme of our life? Oh, hey, it's great to, to understand all this stuff about the book of Revelation. You can bust the, you know, the, the theme of that thing, come four times through the tribulation period, culminate with the second coming of Christ. You can have, you know, you do all the bells and whistles through all this thing. You can blow people out of the saddle about all the stuff that you know about the, the book of Revelation, you can bust the Bible and you can, you know, you can go back, get the tape, memorize all the things that I just gave you about these pictures and you can blow people away with all of the information you know about the theme of the Bible, the second coming of Christ. You can see that sun come up every morning and, and watch it come up and say, you know what that is? That's a picture of the second coming of Christ right there. Big deal. If all of this doesn't do something to our heart, you know what the you know what level of spiritual growth I believe the Lord wants First Baptist Church to take. I mean, we, we've come through as a church together through a lot of things and we've learned a lot of things. But I think the place that God is wanting to bring us to as we're coming to the end of the time and as we're coming through the Book of Revelation is I think He wants to bring us to the point to where His day is not only the most important day on His calendar, but it's the most important day on our calendar. To where we wake up every morning and that sun becomes a literal picture for us. You know what I hope will happen to you after today? I hope there will never be a morning in your life when you wake up and you begin to spend time with God before the sun ever comes up like Jesus did that sun comes up, I hope there's never a day where you do not remember, oh my goodness, one of these days, Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, is going to rise on this planet. And you set your life to that. And you go and you check it out. In Matthew chapter 6, you check it out. Luke chapter 11, the Lord says, you know what, let me teach you to pray. Okay? When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see, all, you haven't asked him anything. All you've done is you've learned to approach him and to worship him. The first request that he asks you to pray is, I pray for the kingdom to come. Why did he tell you to do that? Why did he tell you to pray for a kingdom to come? that's coming whether you pray for it or not. The day of the Lord will come. He will set up His kingdom. So why is He telling you to pray for it? You know why? Because God wants you to have in your heart what He has in His. And He will not be glorified. He will not be glorified until that day. What day? The day of the Lord. And it becomes the focus of our life. Everything that we're doing, it becomes the glory of God. The glory of God. And we recognize every single day as the sun goes up and the sun goes down, He's not being glorified yet because He hasn't established His kingdom. He's not sitting on His throne in Jerusalem yet. And oh, so God, I pray for Your kingdom to soon come and until it does, 
sit enthroned on the king, kingdom of my heart. Be enthroned here and be glorified through me. And help me in light of the fact that the day of the Lord is at hand. Help me today to invest my life in eternity and reaching people with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray tonight that you would speak to the hearts of, of people in this room tonight that don't know you. And I pray that the, the glorious theme of the Word of God, the theme of the entire universe, I pray that it would shine to them in such a dramatic way tonight that they would prepare themselves and respond to your graciousness and mercy and your compassion and love and forgiveness that is being offered tonight to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oh God, would you please speak to their hearts right now. And for the rest of us in this church, oh Lord, I pray that all that we've seen today about Your day, the day that, that You have anticipated since the beginning of time, I pray that Your day would be the day that we anxiously await. I pray that as Paul talked about as he came to the end of his life, that reward that You offer for all those who love Your appearing. Lord, I pray that this church would be a church, that we would be individuals that love Your appearing because of the great glory that will be Yours on that day. 